You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Do you ever find yourself asking God where he's been? Ever get up out of bed saying I can't do this again? Have you ever been afraid of what tomorrow's gonna bring? And you're facing it alone, at least that's what you think. I can tell you after going through that valley, even though I didn't see it at the time, it was in my weakest moments that he helped me, and I know you'll find he will carry you when you can't go on, he will be your strength when your strength is gone, he will lift you up, he will be enough to get you through when the you think you've got nothing left to give you can fall apart fall into his arms he will carry you when you get the kind of news that you hoped you'd never hear when you're chasing down a dream just to watch it disappear when somebody that you love turns and walks away and they leave you standing there with shattered faith you don't have to pick up all the broken pieces you don't have to try to cover up the scars you are loved and you can always run to jesus just as you are he will carry you when you can't go on he will be your strength when your strength is gone he will lift you up he will be enough to get you through when the road is long and you want to quit because you think you've got nothing left to give you can fall apart fall into his arms he will carry you his heart is never weary no he's never tired through the toughest fight through the longest night through the flood and through the fire he will carry strength when your strength is gone he will lift you up he will be enough to get you through when the road is long and you want to quit cause you think you've got nothing left to give you can fall apart fall into his arms he will carry you carry you
Amen. What a blessing. Amen. Thank you, Miss Stephanie. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad he'll carry us, aren't you? Anybody ever found that to be true? Boy. <laughs> All righty. The book of Acts this morning, uh, chapter number one. And, uh, you know, do you ever ask yourself the question that you may see up on the screen already this morning? What in the world are we going to do? What in the world are we going to do? Uh, and I say that because we, you know, constantly we're, we're bombarded and reminded of the things that are going on in this world, going on in our nation in particular. And uh, sometimes we kind of maybe find ourselves asking ourselves that question, what are we going to do? Well, the apostles in one sense was asking this question in Acts chapter number 1. In beginning in verse number 6, Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 6, and I just want to share my heart with you this morning as best as I can. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 6, the Bible says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here, gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Just to get you caught up with where we are in history here, the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrection was about 40 days earlier. Uh, and many people may not be aware, but after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he, he ascended to heaven immediately, but then He came back and ministered on the earth for a period of 40 days. And where we just read is the end of those 40 days. And I want to point you back to verse number 6 because, once again, it's interesting and something that not everyone knows. And, and often when I teach and preach, I try not to assume that you uh, know all that I would assume that some may or may not know. But in verse 6, he says this, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will, at will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're asking him the question. They don't know he's leaving. They've been with him for 40 days. They'd been with him, most of them, or at least 12 of them, had been with him a three and a half years before this time. And they're asking him, okay, Lord, so is it now that you're going to sit upon the throne of David? Is it now that you're going to set up your kingdom? Is it now that we're going to see you rule in the whole earth? You realize that? They, they were expecting Jesus to be the king of the earth. You know why they were expecting that? 
Because the Bible promised that he would be. And you want to know something? He will be. In a sense, I understand that he is, but they were correct with the, with the truth that Jesus will reign as the king on this earth. He will be the king of Israel. He will be the king of the world. Literally. I mean, sitting upon this earth. They were right about that truth. But what they weren't right about was the time. Was the time. Now, I'm saying all that just to say to you this morning, it's interesting here that they're saying, okay, Lord, are you going to fix this mess or not? Are you setting things right or not? Is is now when you're going to set things right? And Jesus says to them, uh, he said, that's for me to know and for you to find out uh, in another way to interpret that. But he said, that's not really any of your concern. He said, but... What I do, what I will do, is I'm going to give you power. And I want you to be my witnesses. And I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go across the streets. I want you to go across the states. I want you to go across the seas. I want you to go into all the world and be a witness for me. I'm going to give you power from the Holy Ghost of God. And He's going to, he, he's going to give you the power. You're going to walk in Him and, and, and live the Christian life and make a difference. And you go on down to verse number 11, until I come again. Because as soon as He's done talking to him, I mean, just get the picture here, by the way. The disciples are talking to Him. Lord, are you going to become king of the earth right now? Jesus says these few statements to Him. And get the picture. They're talking to Him. Then all of a sudden, you ever have somebody kind of inching away from you as they're talking to you? <laughs> hey, some of us need to learn to read body language, by the way. That don't mean, hey, will you keep following me and talking? Okay? Uh, some of us need to learn what body language, okay? Uh, but Jesus, he wasn't inching away from them. Uh, he was inching away from them. He began to float up into the air. And he just said, all right, y'all go. Uh, I want you to go and be witnesses for me. Go tell people about me. And they're like, okay, so no, king, no kingdom yet you're not. Oh, you're, you're leaving. You're going away. And, and, the, and they're sitting there like, okay. And then the angels had to speak and say, hey, what are you guys looking at? And that's a good question. Why are you standing here? Did you not hear what Jesus told you to do? It's time for you to go, okay? And so here he is ascending into heaven, but there's another promise. He said, the same Jesus which you see ascending into heaven will return in like manner. And I believe he's coming back, don't you? And he's returning in like manner. But you know, they didn't know when. I thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll get at it. Maybe he'll come later, maybe he'll come. And, uh, but they didn't know when. They just knew he was going away and they knew he was coming back and they knew they had a job to do. Now, The promise of the Messiah, what I want to try to do is I want to try to take us back to their world for a little bit. Then I want to bring us up to where we are in our world and just ask that question, what in the world are we going to do? What are we going to do with what's going on in the world? See, the the problem the disciples had is that Jesus was leaving, but the world was still a wreck. Jesus was leaving... But over half the population, listen, over half of the population under Roman rule were slaves. There were slaves. So half the population were slaves. Women were still treated like property. Children 
A, a father under Roman law, I could decide at this very moment under Roman law back in that day that I didn't want one of my kids and I could rightfully kill them. It was not uncommon for somebody, for, for, for people to have a baby and just to say, nah, you know what, I don't think I want this baby. They would literally, it was not an uncommon thing for them just to go and just set that baby out on the edge of town and just let it die of exposure. It was not an uncommon thing for people to feed their, feed their kids to the wild animals. That's what was going on in the world. These people had no rights to speak of given to them by the government. They, these guys they're talking to especially, none of these guys are Roman citizens. A Roman citizen had some rights, but these men, these men didn't have any rights. Just as what we saw happen with Jesus just 40 days earlier... I mean, man, they could just come up and make a quick decision and have you put to death. They could have you killed on the spot. These men did not have rights. They, 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 did not have, they had rights given by God, but they did not have rights given to them by the Roman government to speak of. And Jesus, but yet you're going away? We thought you were coming to make all this stuff right. And He is. But I'm saying all that to say that's what was going on in their day. I mean, think about just a few of the other things. I mentioned a few. But, for one thing, did you know that their leaders, for one thing, they had Herod over them as the Jewish people. He was appointed by the Roman governor to be the king, if you will, over Judea of Samaria and Galilee. And basically, they were living in a police state. They were living in a police state. Uh, some scholars believe that people were being taxed up to 50 to 60% of their income and of their livelihood. And, and, and it wasn't to try to support to make you know, better roads and schools and things like that. Man, it was just to go into the coffers of the leaders. Now, in the leaders of Israel, the leaders of this great nation that had been founded by God, now they had basically fallen into three religious groups the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And these were basically, they were the religious leaders, but for them it was kind of one and the same. They were the religious leaders, they were also the political leaders. But they were sold out to the Roman government. When you read the, when you read the, uh, the, the, the Gospels, you find out that one, one of the problems that uh, uh, the, the religious leaders, the leaders of their country, if you will, had with Jesus Christ is they were going to upset the little sweet deal they had in Rome. So they were sold out. Their leaders were total sellouts to a foreign and an ungodly government. And so in a sense, they're asking Jesus, what are you going to do? But Jesus turns the attention to says, well, don't worry about what I'm going to do, but here's what you're going to do. And what He tells them to do in their chaotic world, is the same thing that God tells us to do in our chaotic world. And what is that? Well, He says, you shall receive power, in verse 8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, let's just pause right there a second. At that time, the Holy Ghost had not came because Jesus had not yet left. But now everyone who is saved by the grace of God, the Bible says if, you have, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The moment you are saved, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God resides within you. The Holy Spirit of God resides within you today. 
But now, there's a difference between the Holy Ghost of God residing in you and you being filled with the Holy Ghost. You being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we gave this illustration, and, and by the way, uh, the Sunday school this morning is kind of coupled with this message. If I'd encourage you maybe to go back and watch that on YouTube. But, but one of the things that we had mentioned in there was, how, the, what does it mean to be filled? The idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it's, it's more about like being filled, how a person may be filled with anger, for instance. And we gave the illustration of, if you've ever been filled with anger, what happens is you're under the control of anger. You're under the control of anger. Therefore, you often do things you wouldn't normally do. You often do things you wouldn't normally say. And that's kind of the picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit of God lives within every one of you. If you're saved, if you're not saved today, man, I, this would be a great day for you to get saved. And can I tell you something else? If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is the day you need to get saved. But if you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you and being filled with the Holy Ghost of God, that's what it means to live the Christian life. Because none of us have the power uh, in and of ourselves to live the Christian life. But if you're saved, we are to submit our lives to the Holy Spirit of God. We're to repent of unconfessed sin and allow the Holy Spirit of God to help control. Help me to say some things I wouldn't normally say. Stand for Christ. Help me to live in a way that I normally wouldn't live. Because if you ever get frustrated or discouraged as a Christian living the Christian life, maybe you're trying to do it on your own. And maybe you just need to be reminded that you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So what are we going to do? The, the disciples are asking. We're asking. He says, well, number one, the Holy Spirit of God's coming and you're going to be filled. So He's going to help you to walk in the way you need to walk. But number two... You're going to be witnesses for me. You're going to be witnesses for me. You're going, to be, you're going to testify. What's a witness? A witness is somebody that can testify to what they've seen, what they've experienced. You ever, you ever heard that old, that old uh, question that says, you know, that if you were brought to court uh, and, and were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty of being a Christian? But we're supposed to be witnesses for Christ. We're supposed to be those in this world that say Jesus is real. Amen? See, because if you're saved by the grace of God, Jesus, we're not just religious people. We, we, we don't just have a set of beliefs, do we? Hey, hey, we know Christ. If you're saved, you've got a relationship with Christ. So we don't just try to debate facts and, and doctrines and religions over like, well, I don't know about all that, but I know Him. Amen? And I'd love to introduce you. See, so we're witnesses. Oh, somebody says, oh, well, well I'm not so sure that Jesus is real. Well, that's telling you something. That'd be like you coming and telling me, I'm not so sure your wife is real. Now, and if you only seen pictures of us, I can imagine you asking that question, amen? Did I Photoshop her in there or something? But, but, but that's like you said, I'm not sure your wife is real. Okay. Like, I, I mean, what kind of, I'm, I'm not going to get in no real big argument with you because it's like, I, I, I can witness she's real. I've seen her. I know her. And it's that way with the relationship with Christ. See, we're witnesses for Him. We're to share our faith. Jesus Christ left the apostles here. He left us here. But wait, wait, wait. The world's a wreck. 
You know, I mean, the, 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 the human trafficking, the slavery, the, uh, the, the women are property and, and, and kids don't mean anything. Human life, uh, the, the value of life is like nil in this culture they were living in. And Jesus, this is what you want us to do? Yes, this is what I want you to do. And he said in addition to that, in other uh, times, uh, other accounts in the Gospels, right before he leaves, he also says to go make disciples. He says, so win people to Christ, share your faith with others, and then take time to witness to them for Christ. See, the Jewish people, again, they expected Jesus. And what, was Je- what do we call Jesus? Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Christ is the Old Testament form. It's the same word for Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's the one promised for the last couple thousand years who's coming to be the king. So that's why they were expecting, and that's why they're asking the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I'll just share with you briefly and just try to, I'm just giving you my heart. This is unconventional. I don't really have points this morning. Uh, But when the Lord began to lay on my heart, to emphasize, God's just really had on my heart lately. Well, I've had a couple people approach me, and it kind of convicted and helped uh, guide me in that way. But I've had some people approach me and say, Preacher, I really want to learn how to lead someone else to Christ. That's wonderful. I love people coming to me with stuff like that. Uh, I want to learn how to lead other people to Christ. But you know what I believe? I believe if you're saved by God's grace and if you've been saved and in this church any time at all, you may not realize it, but you already know how to win somebody to Christ. But I want to tell you how to do it so you'll know, oh, I already know that. Uh, We'll talk more about that later. But as God began to lay this on my heart, I began to struggle because when I began to think about emphasizing our great privilege and responsibility of sharing the good news with those around us and pouring our lives into new believers so that they might uh, also uh, become effective Christians. But then, here I am in August of 2021, going into September. And the latest of many recent heartbreaks occurs in Afghanistan. And we do need to be praying for the families of those Marines and other Americans. We also need to be praying for our, we got fellow, we got brothers, we got allies in Afghanistan. I'm talking about among the Afghanis. We've got Afghani brothers and sisters in Christ there that we need to pray for. But among the many recent heartbreaks in Afghanistan, with a series of poor and very arguably treasonous decisions, made by this administration, has led to a crisis of our fellow countrymen. Thirteen of our U.S. brave servicemen paid the ultimate price for this. And and that alone, you know, coming into a Sunday, I'm just like, man, is this really a Sunday to preach about soul winning? Being a witness for Christ? I mean, with this stuff going on, this heavy stuff? And, And then I thought just even further from that. In the day that we live in, domestically, whether it's from Hollywood, the halls of Congress, to the halls of our schools, both public schools and colleges, there's an an all-out assault continues on the Constitution of the United States, on the Christian worldview upon which the Constitution, Bill of Rights in this country was founded. There's a constant attack on that. 
Evil is called good. Good is called evil. Those that profess themselves to be wise are fools. That's the time. There's people today, I mean, you ever think you'd live in a day to where the so-called wise among us that would claim to be wise? And in addition to that, the loving and the good promote death? Promote bringing a, a baby out of the womb and killing it right there on the table? Did you ever think you'd hear something like that in our country? Oh, but those are the loving and tolerant people, you see. What? What are we talking about here? That's not love. That's not tolerance. That's not science. That's murder. You know? I mean, we live in a time to where, to where the condoning, and not only the condoning, but the propagation of perversion is tolerance and love and, and enlightenment. Folks, it's nothing more than darkness. Now, I, I mean... That's what we're dealing with today. So in the light of political, social, and the spiritual crisis that we face in our country, here's the question. And I believe I'm asking the question that maybe the apostles were asking. Is this really the time to come to church and within our homes to emphasize our personal walk with God? Is this really the time to talk about being a witness and trying to get people to Christ? And taking time to, to teach people stories and doctrines and truths from the Bible? Well, I believe Jesus answers that question. Amen. And the question, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Yes. Now more than ever. Now, more than ever, it's time to do the answer to the question, what in this word are we going to do? How about this? Let's do what God said to do. Let's do what God said to do. Amen? Let's do what Jesus has already told us to do. You see, we live in a, uh, in a time, and I already said it, in a perverse uh, generation See, we're getting, we, you know, what are we going to do? Man, by God's grace, we're going get to get in the ship and go to the other side for souls and for God. Amen? And Sunday school, I, pre, I, I talked a little bit about Acts 27. Hey, if I quit calling it Sunday school, would you come? I've thought about just calling it Bible study because that's what we're doing, okay? There's no books and no tests. But we're going through, we went through Acts 27. And, uh, and going through Acts 27, I was looking at Paul and being on a ship at sea, at a stormy sea, that's inevitably, it's going to go down. And the way Paul behaved on there, and, and, I, and I tried to, uh, you know, use that comparison to how we are to behave in this world, in the storm, on a ship that is eventually going down, which does not mean that I don't believe in revival. And it does not mean that I've lost hope and don't believe that God can't turn things around. I'm just telling you that ultimately, this world is going down. So, the Lord, His last command to His disciples, His last command to us was to share the good news and to make disciples. Win somebody else to Christ, make disciples. We have a mission. Are you listening to me? If you know Christ, if you had your sins forgiven, I'm speaking to you today. I'm addressing you as a soldier of the cross. 
I'm using no hyperbole there whatsoever. We are literally, if you are saved, you are a soldier. You are a soldier with a clear directive. You are a soldier with a clear mission. Every one of us have one thing in common. Our number one priority, our number one mission is our walk with God that we might win souls, that we might disciple other believers. Every single one of us. So, to the question the angels asked, why stand ye here? Why stand ye here? Get with it. Let's do it. Let's, let's spend some time with somebody that don't know Christ and try to win them to the Lord. Let's love somebody. Let's show somebody the grace of Almighty God. Folks, we have a mission, and the mission has not changed. The battle. Are we in a battle? Yes, we're in a battle. But let's not forget the main battle. The battle is for souls. He said, no, I've got an argument or two I want to win. That's secondary. That's fine. But that's secondary. Primary, let's win these people to Christ. Let's win these people to Christ. See, we need to be less concerned about winning our arguments and more concerned about winning souls. Amen? See, the battle is for souls. We are soldiers. We have a mission. With all that's going on in the world, we have a mission. And it's now more than ever that we have the example of Christ. See, God's people living in a crooked and a perverse generation is nothing new. We have been so blessed in our country. Somebody say amen right there. We have been so blessed in our country. But I want you to look at the history of God's people overall. I want you to look at the history of Christianity for the last 2,000 years. And you will understand that we've had about a 246 year reprieve. What we've experienced in this country, the way we've influenced the world, is very uncommon. It is not the norm. Most of our brothers and sisters, for most of time, have lived in societies that were not uh, favorable, societies that were hostile toward Christianity. Remember how bad the world was, I told you, when Jesus was born into this world? What did Jesus, God in the flesh, go about doing? You know what He did? He went and found some hurting people and said, I want to sit down and have dinner with them. I want to go find some outcast and show them love. The, the man, the God-man, with all power in this messed up world he's in, he didn't come and take the throne. He started reaching out to sinners. Now, as he did so, the religious and political leaders would show up and he would call them out. He called out Herod. He called out the Pharisees. He, he did. But it was while he was doing the number one thing. Loving people. Giving people hope. Yeah, the world, his world was a wreck. Jesus, what are you going to do to fix this? Oh, I'm going to go love somebody. I'm going to go find this outcast and just, 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 just let them know I care about them. See, the way, the way Jesus does, the way God does things that don't always make sense to us. And so, so he does that, and he engages the culture. I mean, uh, he, he stands up to the Pharisees, he stands up. But he, listen, he is not encountering sinners as he's tackling the political issues. He's 
encountering the political issues as he's reaching sinners, because that was the number one thing. And the same thing happened with the apostles. The same thing is to be true with us. Our number one mission is what the Lord told us to do. We have a mission. All right, so, uh, but, but think about it. There was a balance, wasn't there? Jesus, I've already said it, people were, people were flat out disappointed. And if you bring this into context, many of you know this, but do you want to know one of the reasons why everybody was so excited on Palm Sunday? The king's here, and he's going to fix all this. You want to know why probably some of those same people were crying crucify him just a week later? Because they figured out he wasn't going to be the one to come and fix all this. At least the way they thought he was going to fix it. Some of the same people. But you think about this. Jesus picked these 12 men. And then others that followed. Jesus used these men. You know what he did? He changed the world. He's still changing the world. The fires of liberty begin to burn in the hearts of men. Why? Because they met Christ and they knew Christ. Did you know that Christians began to encounter human trafficking? You know how? When they would see slaves being sold, especially children, you know what they would do? They would, they would take up offerings and adopt and buy these children, buy the slave children, but not to keep them as slaves, but to bring them in and, and to raise them as children. That's what they did. Uh, you know what else they did? It started with Jesus. I tell you right now, you want to you you annoy me? Be an idiot and act like you know what you're talking about. That's why I don't watch the news. Amen? But anyway, um, listen, I mean, and what I'm talking about is this. These feminists that try to attack the Bible, any of these liberals that try to attack the Bible on grounds of women's rights, slavery, um, you know, uh, marriage, you go on right down the... And I just want to say, you big fat idiot. I, I mean, but I don't. But you, you, before Jesus, before Christianity, you watch how, you look how treat, women were treated. You watch how Jesus treated the women. You watch how women were treated in the early church. You find out how they mattered in the early church. You, mind, you find out how kids and life, and you want to know what happened when this began to, to take place? You know what happened when those Christians, I'll praise God for them, when those Christians would go on the outskirts of towns, those places where people would abandon their, literally leave their babies out there to die, they would go out there at night and just see, is there any babies left out there today? And they'd bring those babies home. And you, know what, you want to know, through the course of all that, they were, being, they were being witnesses. See, God had changed their life, but they, their, their main purpose was to win souls, but God had changed their life, so they began to change their culture. Those around them, we, we, we have writings, it's really cool. We have writings of Roman senators that come to Christ. And we have writings of philosophers, and they talked about, man, these Christians are different. These Christians are different. Because they love, they believe that men are equal. Man, I love it. These Christians are different. We find it right there in the Bible. Uh, the, the, the letter of Philemon. One of the most, you would think, one of the most insignificant books of the entire Bible. But it's got such an in, a significance. Uh, the book of Philemon. Onesimus, an escaped slave, ran away from his owner and 
friend of Paul got saved by God's grace. Paul sent him back with a letter and told, uh, uh, told Philemon, I want you to receive him as a brother. Receive him as a brother. So now slaves are being treated as brothers. See, Jesus didn't address these issues when he was on the earth. The apostles didn't address these issues so much in their preaching and teaching, but they were winning souls primarily, and as they did it, it began to make a change in culture. And the world began to change. And by the time you got to, you know, I mean, the, the 16, 1700s, and even before that time, faithful Christians that were being killed and martyred. By the way, can I give this to you? Look up the word, look up the word witness, the, the Greek word it comes from. It's martyr. It's martyr. So there's more to witness than just what we say. These people literally gave their lives. It's martyr. Uh, it's where we get the word martyr from. Somebody who, who gives their lives dies for their faith. But the point I'm just simply trying to make is that the world was ultimately changed. Okay? But we've got to realize something today. From the very beginning, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle's not with flesh and blood. Does the devil use flesh and blood? Absolutely he does. But that's not our battle. That's not our main enemy. See, we need to keep our mission primary. We need to keep and understand who our enemy, our primary enemy is. And it's Satan and his demons. And now, here's the thing that I can imagine people protesting when I would say and emphasize that Jesus is telling us, what in this world are we going to do? Yes, in the midst of all the chaos and in the midst of all the things being so out of whack, what are we going to do? Jesus said, keep the main thing the main thing. Walk with me, win somebody to Christ, disciple somebody. But I can hear somebody protest and say, well, preacher, you don't understand. The need's kind of urgent about what's going on right now. In our country, I 100% agree with that. Uh, somebody says, well, but, but preacher, people are being affected right now. But, 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 and we could go on and on. But it doesn't change that our primary objective is still to win souls and to disciple them for Christ. That's how the world was changed. And that's how the world will be changed. I'm not saying that we, we're not to be salt and light. Uh, understand that. Somebody says, well, we have to do something. And I'm saying, amen. What do we need to do? What God called us to do. What God called us to do. That's what we need to continue to do. Fulfill your mission. See, I think about this. I feel like if you don't understand me today, you could misunderstand what I'm saying. See, because if you really think about it, I talked about this in Sunday school but you know, sometimes we think we're doing something and we're not really doing something. Worrying over stuff ain't doing something. Being fearful and overwhelmed while what's going on is not doing something. That's not doing something. Voting is doing something. And I want to say something else. I believe that Christians ought to be uh, salt and light. I, bl I believe I mentioned it in Sunday school, but I believe Christians, I believe that we ought to engage this culture. I believe that we ought to be involved in faith and freedom. I believe that we ought to, I believe that, that Christians ought to be on school boards and, and city councils, all the way up to the very highest levels of government, involved in everything going on in the world. I believe that with all my heart. 
But just like Jesus, his main thing was reaching souls, and along the way, he made a difference. His main thing of the church was reaching souls, and it affected the entire culture and changed the world. Because I am not by any means. Because see, see, people could look at me and say, Preacher, do you not care about what's going on? And here's the thing that I want you to understand. I care a great deal about what's going on. I love my country. I love the freedom. I love the, the, our God-given principles. I love promoting a Christian worldview. I love our young folks. I love our old folks. I, I love everybody in between. But I'm telling you, that's why I believe we keep the main thing the main thing. Because what it's going to do, the byproduct of that is going to be making a difference. Doing it God's way. I'm not advocating putting, putting one's head in the sand. Please don't accuse me of that. I'm an advocate, here it is, and I'm trying to bring this to a close. I'm an advocate of Christians learning how to be proportionate. And here's what I mean by that. Having a balance. See, in the 21st century, there are some serious challenges that we face. And there's things that we need to be responding to. There's things we need to be reacting to. But what I'm saying is, they need to be in proportion to the command that God has on our life. Again, they need to be secondary. Primary, our walk with Him, witnessing to others, discipling others. Then the other things come in secondary after that. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. So Lord, what are we going to do? The world's not fixed. Things aren't right. Just keep doing what I told you to do. And the benefit that we have is we have 2,000 years of history to show what happens when God's people are being faithful to do what God told them to do. It changes the world. It establishes a country like no other. But it's all because somebody said, I'm going to win somebody to Christ and I'm going to disciple them. That's where it all starts. It starts with local New Testament churches making a difference. So let's all stand. And I'll ask you the question, as you stand, why stand ye here? Somebody says, because you just told me to stand. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, man, you know what? We have a mission. We have a goal. Do you want to change the world? Yeah, preacher, but I don't want to hear all this religious churchy stuff. That's not going to do it. Listen, that has done it. History proves that has done it. You go look at the problem that uh, Constantine 